All right, we are starting a new series of the book of Hebrews. We uh, finished up our summer in the Psalms, and now we're going to be spending the next 26 plus weeks or so with a little breaks here and there in the, in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to the book of Hebrews. Or if you've got a tab, tab at phone, let's see the glory of God radiate off your face as that screen shines. And with that, Zach Zegan is going to come up and he's going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 for us. Chapter 1 through 3. So come on up, Zach. I know, unprepared. But if you were on time to church, we would have uh, told you earlier. All right. He's still on check time, right? That's how they do it in the check. But uh, I love this guy. Uh, chapter 1, 1 through 3. Please stand as we honor God's Word. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Thank you. Guys, please pray with me. Father, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we rejoice and are glad again because you you kept evil far from our homes last night as we were sleeping. You rejuvenated our bodies from the day before from the effects of sin and being tired and, and bumps and bruises. You rejuvenated our bodies. We wake up fresh this morning. Lord, you put a roof over our heads. You've given us clothes. You've given us Again, food to eat, Lord, those are all good gifts from you and we're thankful. But we rejoice more importantly because you are Lord and our Savior. Uh, you, you came and lived the perfect life in our place, the life that we were called to live, but we can't. You died on the cross to make payment for our sins. We, sh- we should have been out there, but you are our substitute. You took all the wrath of God for the payments of our sins on you. You were buried and you rose again three days to show that you truly were the Messiah, the one who holds the keys to death and hell and has victory over Satan as well. Lord, in that, that's why we rejoice this morning, because we know without a shadow of a doubt that you are on your throne and you are working all things out together for for our good, but more importantly, your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. All righty. The book of Hebrews. Um, and first and foremost, check out that banner, right? Andy Lidberg in the house. Thank you, McLeod, for putting that banner up there. That is, a, that is terrible. Can we please give Andy some love? Thank you. Right on. Jesus is better. I want to open up with a question this morning. What do you, what do you love to listen to? What do you love to listen to? Uh, how many in here love music? Raise your hand. It's probably going to be everyone in here. Everyone loves music, right? But what's, what's your kind of music? Are you a classic rock guy? Are you an alternative guy? Are you a blue uh, grass guy? Are you a country guy or gal? R&B, rap? Maybe Christian music, at least some of it. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. What do you love to listen to? Or this, what, uh, how many of you love to get out in the nature and listen to nature? Raise your hand. I love to get out to nature. Who loves to listen to the birds out there? I love to listen to the birds out there in the morning. Who loves to, to maybe to, to walk by a river and hear, hear a river or a stream flowing in the middle of the day? That sounds good. I was just in uh, North Carolina and then also Florida next to the ocean. I just love to hear the waves crashing on the beach. Here in, here in Colorado, one thing that I absolutely love 
is when these thunderstorms come in. I love to listen to thunder. Who loves to listen to thunder? Oh yeah, love it. How many of you love to hear the voice of your children? Uh, your, your, your grandkids or your spouse? You're like, most of the time I like to hear from them, right? Well, this morning we get to hear from God through His written Word. And He is putting the living Word, Jesus, on display for us this morning to listen to, to hear from. And don't we need that right now? I mean, don't we need to hear from Jesus this morning? And we hear every time we open up this book, the Bible, we hear from God. Every time we come and gather here on Sunday, we hear from God. But man, we need to hear. I don't know about you. We need to hear from the Lord today. I don't know if you notice, but we have a hole that's in our in our wall here from an incredible car accident that happened the night before. And the Lord spared kind of our building, our foundation. So that's just one good reasons when accidents like this happen. Everyone was safe, by the way. But you think about what's happening in Afghanistan right now. What an absolute debacle that has been. And, and the, the loved ones that have been lost, whether Americans or, Americans or Afghans over there, right? What's, what's taking place? The evil that has taken place over there. Can you imagine being over there right now? Or what about Hurricane Irma ripping through the Gulf right now? We need to be praying for our, our Gulf Coast states, Category 4 hurricane. Or how about you in your own backyard? What, what, what's happening in your own backyard, your own soul, your own life? Maybe you faced death this past week. Or maybe you're, you're sickness or you got a, you're in financial trouble or there's some relational strife going on in your, in your marriage or with coworkers or with some of your best friends. Or maybe you're, maybe you're here and you're doubting Jesus and His work in your life. We need to hear from the Lord this morning. We need to have our ears attentive to Jesus this morning. And by God's providence, He has us starting the book of Hebrews. This is not by any accident. He knew exactly what He was doing by having us start the book of Hebrews this morning. It's by His design because it's exactly what we need to hear this morning. So let's dive in this book together and begin this new journey through the book of Hebrews together. Let me just again, are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Are you ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Kids, we got, we got kids in the house, right? I need, I need a little help from the kids. Do we have any kids in the house? Go ahead and scream if you're a kid. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, all right. That's what I'm talking about. Little oxen in the house right there. All right. All right, kids, I need the help. I'm going to say, when I say Jesus is better, whenever you hear me say that, I need you to say back to me, Jesus is better. Can we try that real quick? All right, kids, ready? Jesus is better. All right, here we go. Our first point, Jesus is better. All right. So typically when we start out a new book, we kind of go through kind of some background, like who wrote the book, to whom is it written, what is the purpose of the book, and we're going to do that today. Um, well, the thing about the book of Hebrews, as you read it, as we just read it, we heard Zach read it, we notice that there's not a real greeting like other parts of the letter, uh, other parts of the Bible. And so this is going to be pretty, pretty short. Uh, the first question is, who wrote the book? Who wrote the book or the letter of Hebrews? And really, nobody really knows. 
Nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. And, you know, some think, well, it could have been the Apostle Paul. Some think it could have been Luke. Some think it could have been Apollos. Uh, some people thought it could be Barnabas. But, but really, no one knows because the, the author of this letter doesn't identify himself. And so we don't know. Origen, one of the church fathers, said this. Who actually wrote this letter? Only God knows. And if it's good for God, it's good for us, right? So we're not really sure. The, question, the second one is, well, who was this letter written to? It's written in a historical context to somebody or some church, typically. But again, there is no address to a person. Like if you look to the left in your book, it has Philemon right here. If you look to that, it says in Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy. So those are the two who, who wrote it to Philemon. It tells us who Philemon is written to. But the Hebrew in Hebrews, we don't know. We have somewhat of a greeting at the end of the book in Hebrews chapter 13, where the author says, greetings from those from Italy, which that doesn't tell us much. It just says greeting from those from Italy. So that doesn't mean is this writer in Italy and he's saying greetings from Italy or does he have some Italians with him? And he's, he's just saying greetings from the you know, Italians with him. We we're not too sure. We're not too sure. So what we know about this letter is it's a general letter. It's written to the church as a whole. Uh, and so the next question is, well, when was it written? Again, what is the historical context surrounding this letter? And we can get a little bit better of an idea there. It was probably written in the early 60s A.D., right after Jesus uh, died, 30 years after Jesus died, probably 30 years, because um, they, they, they still seem to be using the temple for Jewish sacrificial. Uh, the Jewish sacrificial system still seems to be in place. It hasn't been destroyed yet in 70 A.D. And this is also taking the time where, where Nero is, is reigning. And we see that there's, there, there could be some trials and struggles. And we know that in 64 A.D., that's when the persecution really started to come down on Christians from Nero. So it probably happened right in there. Again, 30 years after Jesus was crucified. Now, I just thought like, man, what, what happened 30 years ago who can remember 30 years ago? First, raise your hand. Some of you little shavers can't because you weren't even born. But I was like, okay, hey, what happened in 1991 that would be like a, a world event that we could write something about? And it's like, there's nothing really exciting that really happened in 1991, actually. So I went to more of the pop culture. This is what was happening in, in, in 30 years ago. The Chicago Bulls beat the L.A. Lakers in the NBA Finals, right? Who remembers that? Yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Stanley Cup, uh, won the Stanley Cup against the Minnesota Stars. I'm probably the only one that remembers that one, right? That's good. Uh, Madonna and Janet Jackson were top of the pop charts, right? Remember Madonna? And here are the movies. Terminator 2, right? Terminator 2. Uh, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. Yeah, he had the flow going, right? Yeah, Robin Hood. Um, City Slickers. Remember that one? That was a good one. Billy Crystal. Yeah, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, Yeah. And then the first movie that my wife and I ever went to, actually it might have been our, it was our second date. First date was Taco Bell. Uh, second, <laughs> hey, it was in college, whatever. Um, second date, Santa Fe, New Mexico, home alone, home alone, home alone. That's what happened. So that's what the kind of time period, okay. What is the main theme of the letter? This we do know. And that's what the most important thing is. We, we know the main theme of this letter. The main theme is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. The ladies, the ladies of the crossing went through the study of the book of Hebrews this past year. 
And so I, I, I was going to quiz you guys. I was quizzing my wife early in the bathroom while we were getting ready. And uh, she passed, which is good. So it's like, okay, that's good. Um, but yeah, Jesus is better. There's other number of other themes and topics that are highlighted. So the battles believer of faith and doubt and encouragement to persevere and other issues that deal with salvation and how to, how to walk through trials. But again, highlighted and we'll come back to over and over and over again is Jesus is better. Kids, Jesus is better. All right. Jesus is better, we'll see, than the prophets. He's better than angels. He's better than the priests. He's better than Moses. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system. Thirteen times this adjective better is used in this book in 13 chapters. That's why this is the theme. Twice. Let me just pick out two of my favorite ones. Hebrews 8.6 But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant He, Jesus, mediates, uh, mediates is better since it is enacted on a better promise. Hebrews 12.24 says this, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So that's kind of a brief introduction to the book of Hebrews. There's much more that could be said, but I think that, that gets us on the right path. And so let's turn our attention now to the actual text. Kids, Jesus is better? That's what I'm talking about. Let's see if we can keep that going. All right. Second point, Jesus is better than the prophets. Verses 1 and 2. Hey, good job right over there. All right. He, look at verse 1 of Hebrews 1. He is better. All right, here we go. Let's look at Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. I love it, man. I love it. <clears throat> here we go. Jesus, uh, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, sorry. Sorry. That's, that, was, that actually could be the, the, the beginning of this because look at what it really says. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. I love how the author starts out this book. He says, let's, 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 let's dispense of the formalities. Let's not worry about the introductions or the greetings. Let's just get right to Jesus. Let's just get right to it. He says, fix our eyes on Jesus, for he is better than the prophets. He starts out the gate quick. And ever since Genesis 1-1, God has been speaking. He has been declaring his revelation to the world. And he's done that in two ways. We looked at this a couple weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 19. He does that through what's called general revelation, right? Through the creation and the conscience of every human being. That God has not left himself without witness to everyone who ever existed because you look outside and you see and you experience creation that declares that there is a creator. And in Psalm 19, we said that the author tells us to look around and to look up at the stars in the sky. And then secondly, we, we, we see that he does, he uh, dispenses his revelation through what we call specific or special revelation. And this is God speaking or revealing himself through the written word, the Bible, but also the living word, Jesus Christ. And that's what we have in, in, in these verses right here. God uh, is, is through this author is giving us more special revelation. He's highlighting the special revelation of who Jesus is and he is better. Right off the bat, we see this contrast between how God spoke in the Old Testament and how He now speaks through in the New Testament, the New Covenant. 
Since the beginning, God spoke many times in many ways. And I just want you to encourage you guys this week. I mean, just think and go through the Old Testament and just Google or whatever. How many different ways did the Lord speak in the Old Testament? It's pretty amazing. Here's just a couple that I thought of. That, that God in Genesis, he, he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And was just talking with them on a daily basis. Just like I talked with my wife or my kids on a daily basis. That's incredible. He spoke to Abraham in visions and Jacob in a dream. He spoke to Moses early on from a burning bush. And at the end, he spoke to him as a friend. Remember in the tent in Exodus 33? We see that he, he speaks through Elijah through a gentle whisper. King Belshazzar, he, he wrote on the wall with his finger. In Daniel chapter 5, he spoke through donkeys. Balaam's donkey, Numbers 22. And he spoke through Psalms, the, the Psalms. He spoke through Proverbs, pithy sayings. He spoke through prophecy. He spoke through the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Obadiah and Habakkuk, etc., etc. But contrast, see that but, it says, in these last days. What are the last days? The last days began when Jesus was ascended to the Father. That, that began the last chapter of redemption history. We are living in the last chapter of redemption history, the last days. And one day soon there will be a, a last day when Jesus comes back a second time. But he says that he spoke through his son. And notice there's nothing else that follows after Jesus. He is the last revelation given by God. It ends with Jesus. Jesus is the final and complete revelation. We need no other. No more prophets needed with, re with new revelations, such as Muhammad, like in the 7th century. Don't need Muhammad. It ended with Jesus. Or like with Joseph Smith with his new, like, new and improved Ray-Bans, right? To read the new tablets of Revelation, right? Nope. Don't need that. We have Jesus. He is the final revelation and the complete revelation. And then Jesus sent out not his prophets, but his what? His apostles. Apostles are messengers. They, they are ones that are delegates. They are sent ones. That's what it means to be an apostle, to declare who Jesus is as the final revelation. You see, this prophet spoke the word of God and pointed to the new revelation of God. Jesus is the word of God. He is the word. He is the revelation. The prophet spoke about this Messiah to come. Jesus is the Messiah. The prophet spoke about this king who's going to come rule and reign. Jesus is the king. So right off the bat, we see that Jesus is better than the prophets. F.F. Bruce said this, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ. But there is no progression beyond him. He is the epitome of God's revelation. He is the embodiment of God's revelation. He is the revelation. Kids, Jesus is better? I love it. All right. And that takes us to our third point. We'll, we'll rip through these. But Jesus is better? Seven reasons why. Thank you guys. Seven reasons. We see seven reasons why Jesus is better in verses 2 and 3. Again, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to us by the, Father, uh, by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand on the majesty of high. 
Uh, do you see how he just comes out of the gate to declare who Jesus is? I, I just love this. This is so good. And he, and he rips through them pretty quick. I mean, we could spend you know, months on each one of these, but that's not the author's intent. The author's intent is just to rip off who is Jesus to us to be overwhelmed by his glory and to be overwhelmed by who he is. And so we're going to approach the text this way by looking briefly at these seven reasons why Jesus is better. First, Jesus is better. He's been appointed the heir of all things. And right out of the gate in verse 2, this is, this is, uh, amen, this is incredible. God appointed Jesus to be heir or inherit the, the world, all things from God the Father. There's not a singer, uh, a singular molecule that is running around outside the power of the sovereignty of God. He created and He's given it all to Jesus to rule and reign over. How many of you in here have received an inheritance of some point? Go ahead and raise your hand. I've received an inheritance from my, from my grandmother. My mom has passed away, so uh, it was supposed to go to her first, but since she passed, it came down to her, her kids. And I got to experience the blessing of an inheritance. And it's a, it's a lot like this, except the one thing is different is that God, obviously God isn't going to pass away he, so he doesn't pass away. He just gives because that's what kind of God the father we have. We have a very generous and giving God. He just he just gives and blesses the son and he blesses the son with the, the cosmos and the creation, and everything in it. And maybe the when when did God give Jesus this? Maybe it was in Matthew 28, 18, where he says all authority in heaven and earth has been what given to me. Maybe it's at that point that God, the father passed it on to Jesus right then, right before he gives the great commission. So Jesus inherits the whole world, the cosmos, the creation, and everything in there, and He can do whatever He wants to do with His creation and with His inheritance. Now get this, because this is going to blow your mind, right? This is going to blow your mind, because there's something even more amazing than that. Listen to Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that if we are child of God, and He's going to give this if-then statement. If this is true, then this is true. And He says, if children... If you're a Christian, if you repent and trust in Christ, if children, then heirs. Heirs of what, you ask? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What? I mean, you know, Jesus inherits the whole cosmos and all the creation. And this text right says, if you're in Christ, guess what? That's your inheritance as well. That's my inheritance as well. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, stop and think about that right now. All of us are trying to think like, hey, how can I leave an inheritance to my kids? Which is good. We want to do that. But think about what's, in, what's going to be in store for you. It's an incredible thought. What a generous Savior we have. And this, this inheritance is going to be as tangible as the money you received in your earthly inheritance or the art or the house or whatever you received. It's going to be just as tangible. You and I are going to get to inherit this world with Christ. It's an incredible thought. Second, it says, though through whom he also created the world. Now, when we talk about Jesus and in, in, in this whole section, we quickly find ourselves in some deep, deep theological waters. Uh, and, and, and they're waters that it's really tough to comprehend who Jesus is and who the Father is because he's declaring something about his nature. He's talking to us about the Trinity. 
And it's kind of like us trying to, to fit the whole Pacific Ocean in a, in a coffee tumbler, right? Just can't do it. That's what we're trying to do sometimes when we're trying to understand Christ and the Father and the Trinity. That He inherits the whole world because He created the whole world. And you might say, now wait a minute, Aaron. I know Genesis 1.1. And it says, the Lord God, God the Father created the world. But then we see Paul in Colossians 1 and then John and John 1. And here the author says, well, no, that Jesus created the world. So which one is it? Is it God the Father? Is it Jesus' Son? Who created the world? And the answer is yes. It's yes. Because again, we're, we're getting a glimpse into what we call the Trinity and how to serve a triune God. Let me give you the definition of the Trinity. Within the one being that is God. So we are monotheists. There's one God. There exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's mystery in this God that we serve, that He's triune. There's one God who reveals Himself in three persons distinctly. The best way I can give an example of it, you guys might have heard the number of different examples, a three-leaf clover or pencil, right? But for me, it was, it was, it was, some, it was a, a science experience that I did in, in science uh, in high school. It's we get these flasks with ice. It was frozen ice. Water, H2O, was in the flask. And, and we'd each get the flask, and then we'd have to heat up that ice. And that ice would then turn to water, and the water would be turning into steam. So we'd have H2O, the one element, in three different forms at the same time, yet distinct. Ice, water, and steam. Who did that science experiment? Who knows what I'm talking about? It's like, man, public school uh, paid off, right? Public education paid off there, right? But this is Jesus. Jesus created the world, the universe. And not only just did He create it, but He also has made and orchestrates all of history throughout the ages. Third, so Jesus is better, kids. Oh, still with me, still with me. That's good. All right, third, He is the radiance of the glory of God, verse 3. Jesus said in John 8 that He is the light of the world and in Him there is no darkness. If you believe in Him, you will walk in the light because He is the radiance of God. He's the brightness of God. Jesus is the radiance derived from God the Father even though Jesus Himself is the light. Again, that's just like, right? It blows our mind. This is how John put in John 1.14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we see Jesus, we see God the Father. There's a connection there. And I don't know about you, what do you, what do you think of when you think of radiant, bright light? What do you think of? I think of the sun, right? I think of the sun. And again, we just get to hear from the sun or look at the sun one more time uh, to, to declare the glories of God. We've, we've done this twice already in the last couple months in Psalm 8 and Psalm 19 where we look at the sun. Again, the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. And yet it lights up our days. It's so bright, it's so brilliant, it's so radiant that we can't look at it or else we'll go blind. It's so powerful, its heat is so powerful that we have to have self-protection or else it could burn us. It's an incredible thing. And it's the sun rays, the radiant rays that we experience. And here's the point. The sun's rays are not uh, distinct or exist separately from the sun. When we feel the sun's rays, what do we feel? We feel the sun. The sun at its core is 15 million degrees Celsius. At its surface level, it's like 5,500 degrees. 
That's what we feel. I was taking a walk. I take my daily walks at lunchtime. And, and, my, and I was just saying my shirt was off, but it wasn't really off. I want to scare you when driving down shields, all right? But, but I felt the heat of the rays. And, and, and it connects me to the sun. I'm like, man, the sun is hot, <laughs> right? And that's what Jesus does to God the Father. If you want to experience God the Father, His love, His grace, His mercy, His justice, His righteousness, His goodness, His good gifts, we look to Jesus. He is the radiance of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, we see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. So kids, Jesus is better. Amen. Number four, and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Again, just just diving a little bit more into the Trinity. Uh, This last statement that Jesus connects us to God the Father in our lives, this statement shows us who Jesus and God are at their core being. And the author uses very common language to describe this exact imprint. The, 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 the people reading this letter in Hebrews at their time, they knew exactly what the, the author is talking about when he says he's the exact imprint. He, he's talking about um, uh, uh, an engraving tool or an etching that would stamp or imprint or that they would carve the exact image on wood or metal, kind of like coins. Or like a, a stamp of a letter from a king, he would take his, his royal seal, whether it was on a ring or some kind of stamp, you know, his royal symbol right there. And he would, he would write the letter, he'd fold it up, he'd dip it in wax, and he'd put the seal on there. And then that letter would be delivered to the individual that was going to read it. And the individual that received the letter said like, hmm, I wonder who this is from. And he would look and he'd see the seal of the king, the exact seal of the king. And he would know that this is from the king himself. It's the exact imprint of the king's seal. Jesus bears the very stamp of God the Father. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Philip said it this way in John 14, 9. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? Kids, Jesus is better. All right, number five. I told you we're just ripping through this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. How, how powerful is God's speech? He speaks and this world is created, but not only does he create it, but he, ups, he upholds it. He sustains it. He, he carries it along the way by his words as well. Can you imagine having that power? Who would like to have that power? I'd like to have that power. Who else would like to have that power? I know moms, you would like to have that power with little kids, right? In the middle of the night where you hear the kids start screaming, you're just like, put the binky in the baby's mouth. Or the passy or whatever you call it, right? Or change the baby's diaper, right? How about students in here? Do my math homework. And then math homework gets done. How about the dudes in here? Complete the honey-do list. Yes and amen, dudes. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Kids, Jesus is better? All right. Six and seven. Jesus is better. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. These first five, Jesus appointed of heir of all things, the creator of the world, the radiance and exact imprint of the glory of God, His upholding the world by the word of His power, talks about Jesus, again, as a triune God, His transcendence. It's, it's, It's tough for us to to relate to God in this way. 
Because none of those things really apply to, to us. We don't really know how to deal with that. But these next two talk about His eminence. These next two bring God from outside this universe down to us. As He's sitting right here in our chair or walking alongside us, this is talking about His personal and intimate relationship with His people. That we know and can experience that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And notice the tense of this, of this purification. Notice it doesn't say that Jesus keeps on making purification for the world. It's not an ongoing thing. It's a, it's a one-time act after making purifications. It was a one-time act. It's in the past tense. We sang about it this morning. So I love that, we, that when we sing here, we sing songs about the Gospel. We sing songs about Scripture. When we sing, it is or it was finished, what? Upon the cross. What we're saying this morning is what we're seeing in Hebrews chapter 3. After making purifications of sin, our sins were dealt with once and for all with Jesus at the cross. It is done. It is finished. No more sacrifice needed. And that is very, very good news for you and for me this morning. Amen. All right. Because that's in direct contrast to the old covenant sacrificial system that we would still be under if Jesus didn't come. It had to be done every single year. The high priest had to go in and make sacrifices, hundreds of thousands of animals for the, 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 the forgiveness of sin for that year that would cover us for that, that year. And then he had to do it over and over again. But here's the thing. The high priest that made those sacrifices never had a break. He never could sit down. He could never take a rest. There's a reason why in the, in, the, in the temple proper, there are no chairs. Because the priest could never take time off. He was constantly moving and working and making sacrifice. Hebrews 10 says this, and every priest stands daily, always busy, always working at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away the sins. Again, they just covered them for the year. Then they have to do it over and over again each year. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. It was done. It was complete. It was finished. It was on John 19 where Jesus is hanging on the cross and He says, Jesus says, it says after He saw that everything was accomplished, it says He gave up His last breath. It is finished. The price has been paid. It is done. Provision has been made. It is done. Again, this is great news for us this morning because we have been purified from our sin once and for all from what Christ has done for us. And, but here's the thing. We, we understand that, that we still battle with sin here and now, right? We, we know the, the phrase here already, not yet, that, that, that the power of sin has been dealt with. The penalty of sin have been dealt with in Christ. But we still feel this battle, the presence of sin until we are in glory with Christ in the second coming when He deals with the the presence of sin, where He eradicates that altogether from heaven and earth. But right now, we still still battle. We we, we sinned probably this morning on the way to church. And here's the good news. The good news is Jesus doesn't have to run back to the cross to make another payment for sin because He's already done it. The good news is you and I don't have to take our lambs all the way to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the temple every single year. Isn't that good news? 
I mean, as much as I want to see the promised land, I don't want to go see the promised land like that every single year, right? It's been taken care of by Jesus once and for all. It is done. It is finished. It is Italian finito. Nothing has to be done anymore. And when Jesus did, notice what He did. He died on the cross. He rose again. And how do we know that it was done? How do we know it was completed? What does the text say? And He, Jesus, sat down. He sat down. No more work needed. No more sacrifices to be paid. No more atonement needed anymore. It's done. Finished. Complete. In Christ. Once and for all. He is the final, not only revelation, but He is the final Lamb that that needed to be sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. And now He rules by the power of God as He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Kids, Jesus is better. Amen. So what's our response? What's our response this morning to Jesus is better? That's right. Our response is is really not that difficult. It's worship. It's worship. It's it's praise. It's it's thanksgiving. It's it's joy. It's hope. It's assurance. As as we look to Jesus and we see the things going around all around us in this world, as we see the things going on in our own souls, the answer is Jesus. He is better. He is able. He is sufficient. And maybe even more comforting, he is, he is up to the task and ready to enter in. Jesus is better. Dude, kids are dialed in right now. I love it. So this week, pick out one or two of these reasons why Jesus is better. And meditate on them. Think through them. Study them. Ask your question, what are the implications What are the implications that Jesus is heir of all things? What are the implications that He's creator of the world? What does that mean for my life? What does it mean that He's the radiant and exact imprint of the glory of God? What does it mean that He's upholding the whole world and even my life by His words? What does it mean that He's took care of our sins? He's the He purified us in our sins. And when you think of the gospel, think of the gospel this week in the sense of purification for sin. What, what, when you think of purification, what do you think of? What needs to be purified in, in your life? Just in every day, what, what needs to be purified? Water needs to be purified. The very substance that we need to survive, we all need water. But we need water that's been purified, that has all the impurities taken out, because if it doesn't, it will eat us alive. When we go into the back country and we get water, you know, we need to get water um, from a stream or from a lake, sometimes from an elk wallow. Praise the Lord, we haven't had to do that yet. But we have systems to purify the water, to take out all the little parasites in there so that we drink it, it will be clean. It will be free from any kind of defect that will give us what's called beaver fever, right? And no one wants beaver fever in the backcountry. Pur- so when you think of purifications for sin, speak Think in terms of what does it mean specifically purification for sin? So again, our response. Our response is to to listen to the word of God. 
that's put on display the living Word of God, Jesus. It's to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And as we, as we walk out these doors today, I know it was a little overcast earlier, but as soon as you walk out and you feel the rays of that sun, those rays that connect you to the sun, think about that image that this is what Jesus does. He connects us to the goodness of God the Father who gives us good gifts. Use these images. Use these seven characteristics of why Jesus is better to encourage you this week. If you're on green pastures, praise the Lord. Thank Him for the green pastures and everything going well in your life. If you're walking through a valley, praise the Lord. Thank you that you know He is with you, that He is a good shepherd. His rod and His staff are there to protect and provide and to get you through that. Sometimes He takes us through the valleys to get us to greener pastures. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we rejoice. This is the day that You have made, Lord. We rejoice and are glad in it because Jesus is better. Amen.